0: understand what that dog says
1: sure we all do come on gang let's split up now hold on a second there mister we're going after some creepy ghost person and you want us to split up
0: well yeah it's manson mitchell on the weekend with gary manson suzanne mitchell a double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend. Happy Saturday to you, wherever you may be. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. And we get once again the opportunity to work with tall guy Nathan. Nathan Miller, he's at the board. He's our producer. Hey. I
1: just thought it'd be appropriate to play that again today. <laughs> very guys and dolls. All the right.
2: Very. I like that. I'm <laughs> glad you picked that. That's great. <laughs> and and we will find out why in just a minute. <laughs> That's right. Exactly.
0: So uh,
1: all is well, Nathan. Yes, a little happy pre-Thanksgiving to you, and uh, I guess you can say a happy post-Thanksgiving to me because I've actually already celebrated. It I had family in town last week, and we celebrated it a week early. So we're in the middle of a couple Thanksgivings here.
2: Well, that's nice. Does that mean you're going to have two turkeys this year, last last weekend and this weekend?
1: Oh boy, possibly, maybe even two food comas as well. Going to be well
0: rested. Oh,
2: I was going to say, that's a lot of (laughs)
1: tryptophan.
2: Well, very good, Nathan. Uh, Glad you had a nice visit with your family. we we talked about the fact that you have gone to see them a couple times. It was nice for them to come out and see you.
1: Yeah. It's not often we get people out here, but it's always a great opportunity whenever it arises.
2: Yep. Yep. we got a first-time person that we're going to talk to today, Gary.
0: Yes. And the book... American ghost stories true tales from all 50 states that's a lot of coverage it's a lot of ghosts
2: it's a lot of ghosts
0: <laughs> this gentleman's name is Michael A Kozlowski and uh, he goes by Mike he's uh, gonna be a fast friend of ours I have no doubt I had the chance to speak with Mike uh, about a week ago in setting up this interview and I can tell he's just one of those guys who's easy to get to know
2: oh good And let me tell you the least you need to know about him. Sounds good. Michael A. Kozlowski has written a range of books, including a short horror and suspense story collection, Some Days Suck, Some Days Suck Worse, the psychological suspense novella Above the Clouds, his post-apocalyptic John Angel horror novels, Angel of Death and Fallen Angel, And a travel memoir about his family's adventures moving to and living in Australia. Mike lives in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. Actually, he lives in the city of Detroit, Michigan with three spoiled dogs. He's an active member of the local art and music community and tries to be as cool as his friends. Mike is a member of the Horror Writers Association. We'll be sure to give out all of his contact information and where to get his book at the bottom of the hour break. In the meantime, for the first time on Manson Mitchell, welcome Mike Kozlowski.
1: Hey, well, thanks for having me. Well, what a great introduction that was. Uh, huh. I should just stop there they okay. <laughs> it can, it can only and go downhill thank, like. <laughs> thank you
2: for listening to manson mitchell <laughs> I, well i've got to get started with this yeah i mean
0: his family's adventure moving to and living in australia say a bit about that mike
1: yeah so uh my day job i'm an automotive engineer and uh, some years back would be about uh almost going on 20 years ago now i decided to take a job in australia and, uh, my, uh, ex-wife now, but my wife at the time, uh, and our, our young kids, uh, they were nine and three. We, uh, decided to move over there. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things that, uh, we didn't know how it would work out, but just didn't want to pass up the opportunity. Um, so myself, I'm the kind of guy I do a lot of travel for work. Uh, so I do a lot of, uh, research of the countries I'm going to. I don't want to be the, you know, the dirty American uh, traveling everywhere. So I like to know the culture and the customs and all that sort of stuff. So uh, with Australia, it included then learning tax codes and all that, all the things to live there. So I ended up with a stack of, you know, 15 books or something that I was reading to figure out how I was going to uh, undertake this. And I thought there should have been a book that just made it easier. So I decided to write it. And that was my first venture into writing uh, books. <laughs>
2: Very good. Very good. And interesting about Australia, as Gary has pointed out more than once, there's more things that can kill you in Australia than anywhere else on planet Earth. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) Don't they
2: call them the nasties?
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I spent uh, probably the first month or two avoiding everything or smashing it as soon as it moved uh you know <laughs> i just figured everything was poisonous dogs cats whatever i stayed clear <laughs> of all things small children i had no yes. idea you know, so uh eventually though you start to poke at things and to see if they're the thing that you think it is you know you get you get accustomed to it pretty quickly really
2: And what's the worst thing you ever ran into over there? You anticipated. Yeah, that was (laughs) Uh,
1: the worst one that I got close to was a brown snake on a hike, which is one of the not the most venomous, but one of the most aggressive venomous snakes in Australia. Um, Probably responsible for the most uh, poisonous bites. So, uh, we were on a hike and that one, uh, kind of went across the trail in front of us and up a a rock cliff next to us. And we maybe had a a four foot path to go by it, uh, you know, to the snake to the left and, uh, kind of a drop off to the right. So I stood there bravely as the family went around me as if I could somehow stop the snake from attacking. I didn't, I don't know what I was thinking I was going to do, but, uh, you know, (laughs) that was probably the worst, the, the, scariest experience
0: there will be ghosts in a moment folks but i do want to ask (laughs) did you they say when you're in australia check your shoes in the morning did you ever encounter the notorious funnel web spider
1: so i have a story that'll cover both of those (laughs) things I, i did always check my shoes and i always shook them out in the morning and it got to be you know probably six months in and you know i was doing it just out of habit and a spider actually fell out and um, it wasn't a it wasn't a, a funnel web or anything, but man, did I <laughs> take a moment?
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, but we it.
1: did find a spider in our pool in the filter. Uh, and a little known fact about funnel webs is that they create little air sacs on their bodies, and they can survive underwater for quite a long time. So you have to check your pool as well. <laughs> we found one in our filter. And we lived very near to the Australian Reptile Reptile Park, which is uh, one of the only places in Australia that milks uh, funnel webs for uh, the antiven. And we had taken a visit there. They said, "If you ever catch one, bring it in." And when when I when they first said that, I thought, "Why do they want all these dead, smashed spiders? <laughs> you know, because who's going to bring in a live one, right?" But that's what they wanted. So. As I said, after a few months, you kind of get used to it. And I started uh, poking around at that spider and me and the kids got it into a jar and we hustled up to the American reptile park to, you know, save some lives. And we gave it to the girl at the counter, who probably weighed all of ninety-eight pounds, and she shook it out onto her, her hand and was letting it wander around. And said, "Oh, this is a lovely little wolf spider," and she was petting it and whatnot. So, so it wasn't the uh, funnel web we thought, and uh, we were rather deflated <laughs> on our way back home.
0: But you, you followed the right impulse, yes. yes and I felt it. very
1: brave, you know. I thought it was, you know, if you think it's a poisonous spider, and you still you know take those actions right that's just as good as if it was a poisonous spider
0: that's right psychologically and ethically it counts and for those who don't (laughs) know uh, the sydney funnel web spider is arguably the most uh, dangerous and most aggressive spider it's it's not that it doesn't want to be bothered it's that if you mess with it it will attack you ferociously yes it's not a shy (laughs) spider it's like get out of my way
1: my neighbors across the road did find one in their house that they uh, that they removed, but I, I didn't get to be part of that. So
0: <laughs> You know what's interesting, too, about their environmental policy? Now, you mentioned the eastern brown spider, and it's located in eastern Australia where the main population is. And if you find one, oh, I got one in the house, you know, Myrtle, hand me the shovel, I'll kill it. Oh, no, you don't. The laws <laughs> are quite strict. You can be fined heavily for that. You're not allowed to kill those indigenous snakes. You call pest control; they can take it out someplace and release it, but you can't kill it. Not right. that's by law. Yep, correct. Hmm. Interesting place, Australia. How, I, I'll admire it. <laughs> from,
2: I'll admire it yeah. from afar. Yeah, how long were <laughs> you there, Mike?
1: Uh, you- just a bit over a year.
2: Okay. And then, and then Rel- back. Relatively short time. Then. Yeah.
1: Made some great friends, though. Uh, can't say enough nice things about the people there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they've, some of them have come and visited me here. I'm, I'm, I would like to go. I haven't had the chance yet, but would like to go back and, and visit some of them and do more okay. of the touristy things uh, that I didn't get a chance to do while, you know, living and working there. But
2: are you a native Michigander or have you lived in a lot of places?
1: Uh, I am a native Michigander uh and i have lived most of my life in the dearborn detroit area okay um i have a place uh, a few hours in the thumb but have not lived out of state other than out of the country in uh, australia interesting but have done a lot of traveling for work and and pleasure
2: yeah well very good and so what got you into writing ghost and horror stories well after coming back yeah
1: (laughs) after coming back from australia i uh I wanted to write another book. I had so much fun writing writing that one and uh an expat site picked it up and a few people, you know, emailed that they liked the book and that sort of thing. So, you know, it was very encouraging and I thought, man, this is this was a lot of fun. And uh I thought I'll write another one, but I wasn't moving anywhere else. So I <laughs> had to come up with something else <laughs> to write about. <laughs> So uh, they say, you know, they say, write what you know. I don't I don't necessarily buy that one, but uh, write what you love, I think, is good. Yes. So I've always been a horror fan, big Stephen King fan, like many of my uh, generation. Yes. I'm a, a Gen Xer, uh, mm-hmm. so I kind of, you know, grew up with Stephen King and his whole uh, career. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I thought, we'll go that route. Let's write some horror stories. We like to read them. We should probably be able to write them, so... Uh, had some pretty early success with short stories and, uh, got, got a few things published right away. Uh, most of which were in the collection that you mentioned. Um, some days suck, some days suck worse, which, uh, there's not a lot of happy endings in that one, hence the, uh, (laughs) the title.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: But, uh, wrote a, a couple novels, um, only in the last probably five, years or so, just pre-pandemic, really tried to start taking it more seriously and and putting more time into it, uh, making it less of a hobby and and more of a hopeful career. Um, and then that led to uh, meeting Roger Janick over at uh, Visible Inc. Press, and we got talking about horror stories and ghosts, and uh, they're more of a reference sort of publisher, so uh, kind of the true story investigative stuff is more up their alley. And uh, I I was actually writing a novel about one of the stories we'll talk about later Um, and uh, was telling him about that novel and that ghost story. And he asked me if I could tell a whole bunch more of them. (laughs) And uh, he just liked the way I told it, I guess. And I said, we started talking. And and, uh, what developed out of that was the idea for uh, the American Ghost Stories, True Tales from All 50 States.
2: It's a beautiful book with over 100 colored photographs and drawings in it, which really amazed me as I was going through the book. I thought, what a beautiful book. If somebody great, like great those job. stories, it, it, it should be a good Christmas gift for people. You know,
1: yeah, I I hope so. I think everyone should have one under their tree personally, but uh... (laughs) of course,
2: (laughs) now we want to give them an idea of what some of the stories are. Obviously, we are not going to tell 50 stories, and it's it's a nice sized book, but we do want to cover a few of them today. And I thought we would actually start with the home team. Our uh, show is based out of the Seattle area. And so I thought we would tell the first story about a a ghost in in uh, Washington, the Rucker House in Everett. So why don't you uh, tell a little bit about that story?
1: Okay, so the Rucker House, as you mentioned, Everett, Washington, Um, in uh, around uh, 1890, uh, the Rucker family moved there. It was Jane, a widow, and her two sons, Wyatt and Bethel. They moved from Ohio uh, where Jane's husband had passed and uh, at the time they made a, a pretty good uh, living good fortune small fortune in timber and land deals working with people like rockefeller and uh sort of you know timber barons of the area uh the uh the boys are considered kind of the founders of the uh of the town of everett <clears throat> and uh they came out of the uh late downturn there was a down economic downturn in late 1800s um they came out pretty strong and uh in a good position and decided to uh Put some of their money into a big mansion. Uh, the son Bethel uh, was newly married to a woman named Ruby Brown, and he wanted to build the big house for the family to live in. So they did up on a hill uh, overlooking Port Gardner Bay and uh, overlooking what would become the town of Everett. Uh, 10,000 square feet, $11 million in today's money. Um, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful home. But right away, or shortly after moving in anyway, uh Tragedy struck uh, Jane, the uh, matriarch, committed suicide. Uh, she leapt from her bedroom window. No real information on why, if there was depressive episodes, anything like that. But uh, um, the the sons were heartbroken. They they admired their mother uh, very much and it, it built an elaborate ma- mausoleum for her in the cemetery, which had like all kinds of beautiful epitaphs and things on there for, um, you know, just uh uh, <clears throat> tragic. But uh actually that mausoleum I should mention uh houses now twenty family members. I believe it is from uh from the uh <clears throat> descendants and the family is still lives in the area. But uh Jane anyway That's passed away since mm. then. Uh, yeah go ahead. I'm sorry, did you no, have a question? I was question? just saying that
2: 20 people, that's a lot in the mausoleum. So, yeah, it was it's either a good sized mausoleum or they're all cremated in urns or,
1: or <laughs> a very or... small thing. Fa- no, um, <laughs> they're very small people <laughs> in stature. No, I was just kidding. <laughs> um, it is a large, large mausoleum. They even moved yeah. uh, the uh, uh, father's remains from Ohio up into the mausoleum. So, mm. um, very
2: good. But kind of but... like a first family of Everett in a way. Yes. Yeah,
1: very much so. Very and much so. And what is
2: the um,
0: family's relationship to the house filled with this with these phenomena? I mean, how do they represent themselves to the public because this is now I mean you're publishing it now and I'm sure it's not the first time it's been mentioned, but how does the family feel about all of this?
1: Um they're not uh it's not a a, a horrific haunting, I guess it's not ominous, it's not uh you know a, a scary sort of haunting um it's just more of a presence uh, one of the the bigger things that manifests they hear uh pianos playing in the uh ballroom and sometimes uh people claim to see jane's spirit at the piano sometimes it's just hearing the piano and and echoes of it in the room i'm not sure which one would creep me out more <laughs> um seeing a ghost playing it or just seeing it playing by itself but um, uh, they also, uh, see Ruby around the house, they claim, and, uh, the current owners, uh, they just kind of live in harmony. Uh, you know, they, they think that the family you yeah. obviously love their home and love the area and, uh, just want to remain, you know, a part of it.
2: That is fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. Local, local story from, uh, from Everett, Washington, where we've spent quite a bit of time without hearing about this house right Andrew, without ever knowing a... about the rucker house right but you know interesting i wonder if they've made a lot of changes on the inside the people who are living there now
1: oh, i not... think actually uh the, when i was researching they were doing a lot of restoration trying to bring it back to sort of the original so i think they've really? kept it largely wow. largely original mm-hmm. um if you are in the area since you are close um tr- Halloween might be a good time to go by trick or treaters still say that they hear the piano playing sometimes as they're walking up to the house so
2: you know it's interesting you said friendly haunting like Casper the friendly ghost or <laughs> you know some of the hauntings are very uh, ominous very dark foreboding and and some hauntings are you know the tinkling of pianos and and <laughs> so there are different types of hauntings in different places which is uh, also interesting i think well,
1: it's uh, yeah i think it's interesting as you mentioned that the different hauntings but often they're all tragic in nature as they begin you know and yes. it sort of seems like how does the ghost handle it you know <laughs> is the ghost okay right. with you know very often uh haunting is uh, from a suicide or a murder or a heartbreak even, you know. Um, And that's what that's the most common stories we hear, I think. So every once in a while, I like a a sort of happy one that maybe the ghost, you know, didn't. This one, of course, it was a tragic ending for Jane, not so much for Ruby, but, uh, you know, she just died naturally. So it's kind of nice to hear that they're just, you know, hanging out and being cool.
2: (laughs) Yeah, 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 just hanging around the old homestead. Very good. Very good. Before we go to break, I'd like to get a second story in and I I said home team first, which is Washington, but I was also pretty curious about the story from your current home state, Michigan, the story of Minnie Quay. And yes, I, I could I could very well picture it. You know, kids out on the weekend around a campfire and and go ahead and tell what happened next to a couple.
1: Okay, so a young woman, as you said, out with her friends at a campfire, went uh, for a walk down the beach with her steady, we'll say, this was back uh, some years ago, and, uh, you know, a nice walk, a nice cuddle down uh, far from the fire, uh, a little solitude, Uh, maybe got a little carried away, so the young lady, you know, fought off uh, the more... uh, Lecherous advances, and as uh, young men do, you know, got frustrated and stomped off, leaving her there in the dark. So as she was making her way back to the campfire along the beach, a uh, little chilly, you know, sun had set, of course, and uh, <clears throat> wind was coming in off the lake. The Great Lakes are, you know, large, large bodies of water. They don't really get warm, you know, very often. So that uh, wind coming off will put a chill into your bones. Um, but up ahead, she saw someone and she thought, Oh, that must be, I must be catching up to, to the boyfriend, you know? So she yelled, but no response. And she thought maybe the wind, you know, was keeping her voice down, yelled again and, and nothing and kind of tried to hurry up and catch up a little bit. And as she got closer, the, the figure moved off toward the water and actually into the water and couldn't understand what was happening, but she could see now that it was a young woman. She thought maybe it was one of her friends from the fire had come looking for her, and, but didn't understand why they are going in the water. And she got closer. She saw the girl out there, and the girl saw her, and they kind of stared at each other, you know, one from the beach, one from the water. And uh, the young girl, Ruth, who was on the beach, felt this yearning to go to this girl. And she just walked into the water. She could feel the, the cold water up against her legs. Lapping against her knees, rising higher, and she knew she shouldn't be in the way. She knew this was a silly thing to do, but she just couldn't seem to stop herself and kept getting closer and closer and sudden, the water was getting up to her chest, and she could feel it getting tight, and she was having trouble breathing. The water was so cold and then finally she heard a voice from behind her, and it it brought her out of this trance and it was a friend of hers on the beach, and she realized you know she looked the girl in the water was gone, and you know she realized she's in the water up to her shoulders now and You know, trudging her way back and struggling to get back to shore and finally made it. And her friend got her to the the fire to warm her up. And they talked about it. What was this? And uh, they believe it was the ghost of Minnie Quay, who was a young lady who died in the late 1800s there. She committed suicide into the water. And now uh, the story is that she uh, will sometimes beckon other young women to join her in that watery grave. And this was, like I said, A Tale of Heartbreak, uh, the original story. I won't go too far into that. We'll leave that for the...
2: No, uh, the readers need to read the story of Minnie Quay, yes. which is also in, in, your, uh, in your book. You, you tell why Minnie Quay was found walking into the water, which is also a very interesting part of the story. Yeah,
1: and all the stories I try really hard, and for me, I find it even more interesting sometimes is the history of the ghost story. Why yes. is the ghost story there, right? I mean, we yes. all, you know, sometimes the, the the ghost part isn't all that incredible. In in most of these stories, you know, of course, we picked the lascivious ones, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, sometimes it's just orbs or, you know, temperature drops or things like that. You know, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have watched uh, all those, you know, ghost hunting shows and things like that, you know, and there's never, you know, a spot spectral spirit walking through camera, you know, but uh, the story of why they think places are haunted or uh, what tragedy or, uh, you know, event led to the haunting is, for me, often the best part of the story.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah, why? What? Why, where did that ghost come from? Why is it there? That is uh interesting part of it. So, you always include that, that background. You've got, this is what's happened today and This is why there is a ghost there and what happened to them. And, uh, yeah, I I think that that was a good story, too. I like that. So
1: Ruth in that story is I may have embellished a few of the details in the story when you you read it. Uh, A little bit of artistic license. But Ruth is my mother. And uh, we have... uh, we have property in Forrester, michigan where this story and this uh, legend uh exists and i uh, have had property there my whole life my mom grew up there uh clearly from the story so it's one that's very intimate to us you know not just because it's in my home state but you know kind of have firsthand experience so.
2: well it's funny that you should say that because after we come back from the break we're going to tell a story from the chicago area which is where i'm from And I also have a connection to that story. And that was one of the reasons that I said I wanted to talk about that today. So you've got a family connection with Forrester and I have a family connection with Chicago. And yeah, yeah. yeah, we can see how we're tied into that.
0: The book is called American Ghost Stories. True tales from all 50 states. Michael A. Kozlowski is the author mike for short we're sure happy that he's with us for this hour and we're going to have more ghostly tales for you on the other side of a short break we are manson mitchell stick with us glad you tuned in hi everybody this is anson williams from happy days and i'm so excited to tell you about american road it is the best car travel magazine in the world they have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary, we could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please, get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to mansonmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Manson and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell.
2: On Friday, Manson Mitchell are pleased to bring Out of the Vault an encore presentation of our interview with Leave it to Beaver star Jerry Mathers. And on Saturday, Loretta Switt is featured, recalling her time on the hit television program, MASH. Two great interviews worth listening to again. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007, we are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.
0: Real people, real life, real radio. Alternative Talk 1150.
2: Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Michael A. Kozlowski, who has written several books. The one I'm holding in my hand is American Ghost Stories, True Tales from All 50 States. Michael, you were um, talking earlier about um, writing your first book when you were just either in in or leaving Australia, but you have written several things. And so I'd like you to let our listeners know what you've written. If you've got a website or social media or any way that they can learn more about you and connect.
1: Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so you mentioned American Ghost Stories, which is uh, one that's out right now, came out uh, in September, um, doing well, but everybody should run and buy that one. You can find it on Amazon uh you can uh hunt me down send me emails i'll uh, get you a signed copy <laughs> we can we can make arrangements <laughs> um you can find me on my website at www.mikekozlowski.com m i k e k o z l o w s k i uh, there you'll find my shop, which has all of my books, many of which you can find on Amazon, but you can also find uh, specials on the website. You can find uh, things that are out of print, uh, not available on Amazon anymore, such as the uh, uh, travel book, the Australia book. You can be found there. Uh, we have uh, a comic that was part of the John Angel series. Uh, the John Angel series, two books out on that. Uh, those are... Angel of Death and Fallen Angel, that series I like to call Jason Bourne meets zombies. It's very much a, a spy thriller sort of uh, book set in a post zombie apocalypse uh, time when the zombies have sort of integrated and are are living with humans. Not just it's not just zombie war, uh, although there's still some nefarious things going on. Uh, some you know again. Jason Bourne meets zombies. I think everybody will love it, and it Very has a good. good bit of little humor and whatnot in it. Um, I also have my short story collection, which you mentioned. Uh, Some days suck. Some days suck worse. Um, a pretty good helping of stories there. Uh, also includes the novella uh, above the clouds in that collection. Uh, I think there's 25 stories, um, all of which have been published elsewhere in magazines and uh, webzines and things like that um but yeah i think those are the two best places to find me uh uh, for sale is the website and amazon and then uh to connect with me from the website you can find all my social medias instagram uh facebook uh i'm no longer on formerly twitter but uh (laughs) um Belts of my own uh anyway you can find them all there Almost michael a anywhere. kozlowski or yeah. ma kozlowski is usually the tag um okay. easiest through the website probably
2: yeah i i was on your website but before i got on the website when i just put your name in the uh in the bar there were a lot of michael kozlowski's i thought oh, sh- <laughs> i wouldn't have thought that would be a common name but it is kozlowski's um,
1: Reasonably common. It's almost like Smith and Polish, uh, or some variation thereof. You know, Kowalski, koswalski, You know, so, yeah. Um, so it's it's reasonably common. I didn't think there'd be as many Michael Kozlowski's writing. Um, there's one that writes <laughs> a lot of tech books, so um, I typically use the A anyway in my professional work, so right. um, it helped uh, help distinguish, but yeah, I was a little, a little surprised how many pop up. <laughs> there was yeah, also so uh, bizarre, a Miami so Dolphin lineman back in the 70s. Uh, I, I just used to get kidded by a, an older gentleman every time I saw him, he'd say, how did you guys play today? Because <laughs> it was the same thing.
2: <laughs>
1: well, very good, very good.
2: All right. So it sounds like you're pretty easy to find. And Mike Kozlowski dot uh, com. Is that yes. .com? Dot com. That's, that's the best place to start or, or you know, just look at yep. all those other Michael Kozlowski right. and find the one that's writing about horror stories. Yes. And Mike um, at
1: Mike Kozlowski dot com is my email. I'm always happy to answer emails and okay. you know, go Good. ahead and spam Good. me. Okay. I don't mind.
2: Now, it, it seemed as though the American ghost stories were stories that existed, and then when you're writing other stories, are they coming out of your imagination, or are they all researched the way American uh, ghost stories was? Um,
1: there's certainly research and and elements in them, uh, true to life, but yeah, everything else is fiction. Okay, uh, so that I've you kind of expand
2: on what it is that you've heard. Yeah. In, in the stories well, that you wrote I, for yourself, it's pretty
1: pure fiction. I mean, it's pretty much yeah. you know Stephen King China stuff. Right. Like okay. it's yeah, straight Good. horror fiction, suspense. Uh, I've this is my first sort of. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it true tales, <laughs> you know, sort of book. No, um, you said
2: true tales. It's right on the book. So. I know. I know. <laughs> I, know. I, I, always, I
1: never know how to describe ghost stories. You know, I come at yeah. everything I should, I probably should have put out front as a skeptic. So um, <laughs> I like to, I want to be convinced, um, you know, and that's, that's my search of the ghost stories. You
0: know? And I think that's a good approach, Mike, because it's important. If you're going to be an author and When the subtitle is True Tales from All 50 States, it's a matter of qualifying stories, vetting stories. When you look at these tales or when you hear about them, what are your standards for deciding what will and will not be included in such a book as you've written with American ghost stories?
1: Well, the very first is interest. I want want it to grab me. I want to be interested in the story and in the research and be excited about writing about it. So that's that's number one. And that's that probably comes from, you know, the fiction background. Um, Number two, uh, obviously, uh, locations. I like to try to mix up uh, the different types of stories. I'll tell you, I could have wrote 50 woman in white stories, you know, one for every state. I could have wrote 50 haunted uh, hospitals, 50 haunted prisons. 50 lighthouses well there's not a lighthouse in every state but you know what i mean every lighthouse every you know all of them are haunted or have a haunted story so you know you look for ones that seem a bit more legitimate and although i'm a skeptic uh you know calling it true stories i don't have a problem with that at all because i would never dismiss anybody's experience um you know even though i might not have had that experience or, or even necessarily believe that experience, I wouldn't dismiss that experience, you know, and it may be, you know, a scientific explanation. It may be uh, some simple, you know, play of light, or it may be ghosts. I don't know. (laughs) I I can't tell you there's not ghosts or there are ghosts for sure. And I would never, you know, dismiss anybody else's opinion of that. So it's, you know, kind of a journey I like to take with the reader, I hope uh, in trying to investigate these things.
0: I was curious enough before we started the show to want to ask you if you've actually seen a ghost yourself.
1: I have not. I have had experiences that in the moment, (laughs) you know, seem supernatural. Um, And, you know, it could be my, they they could have been and my mind just, you know, works out a a rational solution after the fact. Um, I would say those are few and far between even at that, Um, you know, I can remember as a kid thinking yeah. we saw a, a, an orb go down the street, you know, um, that later you probably, it was probably headlights, you know, from, from the nearby road or something, um, you know, and that sort of thing, but, uh, you know, not a lot of experiences for me. So, uh, but I've been scared plenty.
2: <laughs> yes. Yes. Hmm. I want to go ahead and, and get in at least one more, maybe two more of the stories. And the one that, that I talked about before the break was the one from my home state, Illinois, and it's a it's a tale from the Congress Hotel in Chicago, which I have a family connection to, but I wanted you to tell the story first.
1: Okay, I'll be, I'll try to tell it. Uh, briefly, because I want to get to your story. <laughs>
2: Mine is short. <laughs>
1: okay. Uh, so Chicago, as a native Detroiter, I should, you know, hate all things Chicago. It's yes. in our DNA, but uh, I actually quite like the city. And I go there a couple times a year. Uh, very walkable, lovely city since uh, since they rebuilt it from the fire. They did a great job. Uh, great city planning there. <clears throat> the Congress was built uh, 1893. It was the premier uh, hotel at the time housed you know, hosted presidents and uh, um, you know dignitaries. <clears throat> However, uh, it is littered with <laughs> with horror stories. I mean, just uh, just crazy. So a lot of them mob related murders and things like that. Uh, the Congress was Al Capone's Chicago headquarters. Uh, put that in air quotes, Chicago headquarters. Uh, so him and a lot of his, uh, you know, uh, henchmen would stay there, take up floors at a time. Uh, so a lot of, you know, obviously you would understand a lot of uh, nefarious actions there with uh, the mob and murders and whatnot. Um, there was uh, a connection to H.H. H. Holmes, who's the uh, widely recognized as the first serial killer in America. Um, And he would uh, pull victims from the hotel, either from the hotel bar or the lobby. Um, The uh, hotel opened right about the same time as a large World Fair exposition was going on. Um, Elevators in the hotel are apparently very dangerous. (laughs) There's at least three or four different incidences of somebody falling down an elevator shaft and dying. uh, One by suicide, a few others uh, accidental, apparently. Um, Lots and lots of suicides. In the uh, hotel. Uh, there are two infamous rooms in the hotel. Room 441, which uh, actually I mentioned Stephen King uh, earlier. His uh, short story, 1408, uh, is based on that uh, room. As far as uh, being haunted and the amount of experiences, more calls to security from that room than any others. Some of the things uh, that happen there, um, people will wake up and see a dark figure at the end of their bed, uh, a woman kicking the bed, objects moving, strange noises. Uh, The other room, 1252, uh, is such a a horrifying incident there that they actually have sealed that room off. You can't stay in that room. Uh, It it exists, but they've removed the doorknob even, uh, as I understand it. So uh, in this room, uh, back in 1939, I believe it is, I might be off of a hair, uh, a woman, Adele uh, (coughs) Bagger, moved in. committed suicide from the room. So Adele had uh, been in the family. They were uh, in the country rather uh, fleeing from Czechoslovakia 19. Yeah. So 1939, about right. Uh, Her, her husband, her two sons, uh, Carol and Jan, who were six and eight. um, They had come to uh, Chicago because Adele had some family there. So they could be close to family, have some support. Um, They were living in a basement apartment. Um, They had actually were quite well off in Czechoslovakia, but basically, you know, abandon that fortune to, you know, fleeing for their lives. So they're trying to get back on their feet and Adele's husband was, uh, you know, out, Trying to make business deals, he was trying to get something going in Canada. Uh, they were having a lot of trouble because they were on uh, like a refugee status, uh, you know, visa uh, type situation, so they couldn't do a lot of things. They didn't have any standing really in in either country. So uh, anyway, he was out working deals. You know, was going to be back in a few days. She's staying home with the kids days turn into weeks um Adele had previously had some depressive issues she had uh, mentioned suicide you know uh, before to her husband this came out after the fact uh so clearly she had some uh, mental problems that manifested in a fear that her husband had abandoned her and the children so on uh, uh one day she took the kids to the zoo um leaving the, the basement apartment and after the zoo they checked into room uh, in the uh, Congress Hotel on the 12th floor. She uh, walked to the window, took both her children in her arms, and leapt to the street, Michigan Avenue. All three die. Uh, So uh, one of the most uh, tragic ghost stories in the book, and the child, uh, one of the children, it was reported, Carol, uh, his body, for unknown reasons, never even made it to the morgue. Uh, so now one of the things that people see often is a small child running through the halls, often just mischievous, knocking on doors, playing games. Uh, but also they've seen this child just vanish in front of him. So, uh, yeah, just a tragic, tragic story there, but, uh, a, a ton of incidents in that hotel. <laughs> it's just it's so big many.
2: hotel too.
1: Yeah. Very large. I think, uh, I think it ended up at 15 stories when they something remodel.
2: like how many hundreds of rooms
1: uh, you got I, me I, caught out. I can't remember exactly, but it was it's like over
2: 800 rooms. Something in that like hotel. that. Yeah, it I is think. a huge, yeah. huge hotel. Yes. Really, really big. Well, I'll tell you my connection to that. And that is my, I have a great aunt who was born, uh, right around, and I'm going to guess 1911. Okay. And so in the 1930s, she would have been in her 20s, and when she finished high school uh, in Southern Illinois, she moved north, stayed with my grandmother and uh, got a job at the Congress Hotel. I, I, she may have been a housekeeper. I'm not sure. But she worked there and she and one of the managers of the hotel fell in love and got married. It was her first husband who was a manager of the Congress Hotel. Oh, my. And one day when the um, water heater was going on, the fritz or not working or there was some question about it, he went down into the basement. Now, imagine the size of the water heaters that are serving an, an, an 800 plus room hotel. And when he went down there, the water heater blew up and killed him. Oh, my. And so that was my family. I didn't even come I'm across that, that story.
1: It, you know, yeah. there's like, so <laughs> many tragic things like, you can't even find so them all.
2: I was I was wondering when I read your story, if I was going to find my great uncle by marriage in there somewhere. <laughs> but well, nothing it, about I'll, the busted water heater. But I have to find have it been, in
1: addition to we'll add it in.
2: <laughs> and She would have been working there during the 1930s. When yeah. there was a lot of, you know, crime going on in the city. And this is right down on Michigan Avenue on the right. main drag of Chicago. And um, interesting. There, there's my family connection to the Congress Hotel. She
1: probably would have been there during that uh, that suicide event, 30, late 30s. She
2: may very well have been. She never told me about it, but she herself had a very, very interesting, colorful life. So
1: that, uh, it didn't come up. <laughs> that story is a, a particularly good one. Um, there's some clippings in the book uh, from the actual news uh, reports and stuff of the, of the incident. So yeah. it's nice when you find that really, you know, solid historical connection to, you know, that, you know, at least the story that's being told about why ghosts are there is an actual, you
2: know, verifiable. Well, yes. And, and the fact that they not only sealed the room, but took the door handle. I know it's do- like No one is going in this room. <laughs> right. Wow. There are plenty of other rooms to rent over there. Yeah. Yeah. And and well, it's been it it merged with a PIC P I C K, so it, it's now the PIC Congress Hotel. Oh okay. I, don't, I didn't even I notice don't know when we were
1: how, there.
2: Uh I don't know how the when that occurred, but it would have been mid century. Yeah. Um okay. when they when they had a merger and um and it's still in existence and you know
1: yeah i'm pretty sure the sign just says congress on it i might say congress it, plaza huh? yeah I was just okay. i go probably at least once a year i go visit chicago or yeah okay
2: well very good very good
0: i want to hear about the loretta lynn ranch
2: let's talk All about right. that before we close out the show
1: sounds good so Loretta Lynn Ranch is in uh, Hurricane Mills, Tennessee, and actually the ranch uh, is kind of the remnants of that town um, that was built in uh, nineteen late 1800s, 1900s. A lot of ghosts from that era, late 1800s, 1900s, a lot of tragedy then. Um, but uh, the Lynn family bought that uh, property in the 60s, um, and... I didn't know this until I started researching the book how uh, how into the paranormal and the psychic and that sort of thing that Loretta Lynn was and uh um it was very interesting. I mean I I, I knew her music. I you know, fan, <laughs> but uh that was that was a surprise for me. Uh, so when they bought the house right away, though, they had a lot of uh, incidents, a lot of uh, seeing things. Her daughters were seeing uh, uh, soldiers um, come to find out later that the site had been a, uh, um, a Civil War battle had occurred there. Uh, hmm. and it had also been a field hospital for a while, and I think there was known to be 16 Confederate soldiers buried on the property. And who knows how many others may have been Um so they'd see these uh you know these these spirits walking around um apparently not all that worried about it right away you know i guess uh, Loretta Lynn being a you know uh kind of a paranormal um uh person was uh, happy to let them be uh one of the more uh personal events that happened to them or uh physical event actually was her oldest son came home uh, one night, her son Jack. He'd been out drinking. He fell asleep in what's known as the brown room now. Uh, fell asleep with his clothes on, wakes up middle of the night with somebody tugging at his boot, uh, you know, and he's like, oh, God, leave me alone, and looks and sees a, uh, a Confederate soldier Is <laughs> tugging at his boot, and his dog is on the bed with him, barking at this apparition, his dog Mickey, who then lunges at the soldier but goes right through him. <laughs> so Jack gets up, runs, runs from the room. And uh, both boys uh, refused to sleep in the room after that, as you might imagine. So that was one of the more uh, uh, hands-on, we'll call it, experiences that they had. Um, uh, the two uh, daughters, twin daughters of uh, Loretta Lynn would see a uh, a woman in a white dress, old-timey dress. Uh, they would see uh, the soldiers, as I mentioned, and one in particular uh, that seemed to be recurring. So uh, Lynn had a uh, seance. Organized a seance And uh, what they discovered was that The the family that had first Had the uh, kind of founded Hurricane Mills uh, Was a uh, a Man named James Anderson and his wife Beulah and uh, that's apparently Who was walking around Um, At one point uh, Loretta brought in Kim Russo Who was a a fairly popular Psychic um, did some uh, Shows there's actually a show uh, I think this is Season three of uh, celebrity ghost stories that you can find on YouTube is the Loretta Lynn uh, investigation on that ranch. Um, but she brought her in. She, you know, she said, these, these spirits are here. They're, they're having trouble leaving. Uh, you know, don't want to cross over. They're afraid, you know, connected to the property, whatever the case, but they weren't there to be malicious. They were there kind of as protectors. Um, uh, Beulah had, uh, had lost a child. Um, and, uh, you know, Mr. Brusseau had said that, uh, you know, that was something that was keeping her tied to the property as well. Um, tragically, uh, Loretta Lynn would, would share that grief. Her, uh, her son, Jack, who I mentioned previously, um, perished, uh, in, uh, the river, trying to cross the river on a horse on the property and drowned. Ooh. Um, she found out about that while she was on tour, uh, actually in hospital recovering from exhaustion while she was on tour. Wow. Um, so, uh, you know, that became, uh. Uh, uh, you know, then tied her to the property as well, um, yeah. but she never was, uh, uh, she was never afraid of the spirits, um, mm-hmm. she kind of worked with them, uh, you know, coexisted, um, she said that she felt all the spirits were, uh, you know, didn't intend any harm, they just, they, you know, most of the spirits that were there or that are seen there are people that died in the house, um and then uh as you know uh actually while i was writing this story or this book uh the redolyn passed away 2022
2: yes uh yes. in her
1: bed at the home so you know hopefully uh she's walking around her home with the the spirits and communicating even, even better right
2: <laughs> so. yes it, it may be that she's actually stayed there since she passed away there And that was one of her favorite places. So interesting to think she's now with all the other ghosts at the Loretta Lynn Ranch. It puts
0: me in mind of the show that's so popular on CBS, Ghosts there, which was inspired by a show called Ghosts in the UK.
1: I like the British one much better.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so we saw a couple of episodes the other night. It's this idea of attachment to place. What feels yep. like home, you don't want to leave even though you're not in the body anymore. I find that fascinating.
1: And I think a lot of hauntings seem to be, you know, it's it's rarely attachment to a person. It always seems it, it's more often attachment to a place you know, uh, um, because of whatever tragic event happened. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, a residual haunting, which is, you know, more of a like a loop tape running, you know, you just see some right. action, you know, maybe that's right. an energy or something that was imprinted in that space. Right. Um, however, you know, you would explain it. But yeah, very often I think connected um to the space. It's just such a big you know, those tragic events, I guess that's why they they are the things that cause hauntings, you know, or that we would expect to cause hauntings because they're so impactful. And there's so so much energy imprinted from a from a an event like that.
2: Yes, if somebody is just kind of slipping away, it's it's one thing to make an easy exit into mm-hmm. the spirit world and you know, here one minute and gone the next, but when you're looking at something that is extremely traumatic, like, you know, jumping out of a window or right. or you know, getting killed or something in that spot une- unexpectedly, um, I could see where the the energy really doesn't know where to go or what to do and is trying to resolve things in their in their own minds.
1: Right. Or uh, and then the other, I think, most common would be, you know, the uh, the heartbreak or the uh, love lost or, um, you know, tie to a particular individual, you know, and then they yes. that uh, often, you know, like the white. The white woman stories is a a, yep. a bride who's you know husband yeah. perished and then she committed suicide or something and is still right. looking for her true love you know for eternity.
2: So. Yes, yeah, a, a connection for all eternity. Very, very interesting. I want to make sure that we give out the title of the book one more time. American ghost stories, true tales from all 50 states. Michael A. Kozlowski is the author. And I want to say that it is not only a fascinating book for people who love ghost stories, but it's an incredibly beautiful book with color photographs and color pictures in there. So if you're if you've got somebody who likes that, I would seriously think about that as a really nice Christmas gift.
0: And in our waning moments I just want to note Mike that it fascinates me that down through the centuries millennia really ghosts persist as either a figment of the human imagination or phenomena that we don't completely understand but it has a grip on the human consciousness no matter where you are or what time in history
1: Yeah absolutely and I think uh, I think that's the uh the need in us to explain things right we want to know what happens when we're not here anymore so you know the idea of a spirit or a ghost you know we can't understand that our consciousness would just stop So something has to happen. And if it doesn't go to, you know, heaven or a hell or whatever your particular belief may be, you know, is it just wandering the world? And uh, I mean, and like you said, all through history, as far back as, you know, 60,000 years B.C., uh, we have signs of funeral rites, you know. So you only do funeral rites if you think something is happening with that body after the fact, right, or that spirit or, you know. So as far back as then, people were, you know, thinking about ghosts.
2: Well, this was a a fun, fun interview with good stuff. So I'm, I'm glad you joined us today, Mike.
1: Good to get to know you, Mike. And let's do this again. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure.
2: All right. Okay. We'll do this all again next weekend, maybe.
0: Absolutely. We hope you have a great weekend and a great Thanksgiving week ahead, everyone. Here's what's coming up
1: next week on Manson Mitchell.
2: On Friday, Manson Mitchell are pleased to bring out of the vault an encore presentation of our interview with Leave It to Beaver star Jerry Mathers. And on Saturday, Loretta Switt is featured, recalling her time on the hit television program MASH. Two great interviews worth listening to again bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk, AM 1150. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone.